Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Everybody. Welcome back. I am so excited to have you back on the podcast. And today we are going to be talking about cholesterol, which is something that I have not talked about yet, but I'm so excited to chat about it because I have an expert here today, Ashley Reaver, and she is going to tell us the actual real facts about cholesterol um, and give us some tips all about lowering it. And I'm super excited to have you here on the podcast today. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your all your fancy degrees and all the great stuff that you're doing, um, and um, just so they know. And I also tell them about your free class that you I have linked on here as well. Awesome. I always love to preface um, fancy degrees with, I went to school with some dumb people, so don't be impressed by that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am a registered dietitian. And, um, I did my undergrad at Cornell. I did my master's at Tufts and my internship, my dietetic internship at Cal Poly Pomona. Um, currently for work, I am a nutrition and dietetics instructor at UC Berkeley, as well as I own my own private practice where I see clients and I offer a course on lowering cholesterol. And I really focused on cholesterol kind of last summer during lockdown was almost a perfect storm of things. Um, I was living at home with my parents. I have a really strong family history of high cholesterol and just seeing and hearing a lot of incorrect things, um, as well as teaching the intro nutrition course online remotely last summer for um, UC Berkeley. And after I had recorded and uploaded the lecture on lipids, I had a student send me an email that said they had their parent watch it because their parent has high cholesterol and they've been on statin for years. And the parent just wanted to relay the message that that was the most information they've ever received about cholesterol regard or despite having been on this medication for so long. Um, and it kind of just lit a little fuse, you know, a light bulb went off that this information is wasted on the youth. Most, you know, 18 to 21 year olds aren't retaining much info about cholesterol. The majority of people that need to hear it are quite a bit past college age. Um, so that led me to really create this course to offer a step-by-step -step guide for how people can actually lower their cholesterol through diet. Um, there's just so much craziness out there coming from all directions. Um, and then as Sophia mentioned, there is a free class that I offer that's linked in the show notes. Um, and it really just goes over the three biggest mistakes that I have seen um, as being a dietitian for 10 years, working with individuals to lower their cholesterol. Um, and they're pretty common mistakes. I'm sure we'll get into some of those today um, as well. But my goal was just to demystify it, um, especially for women. There's a common misconception that high cholesterol is something that 65-year-old overweight men have, and that's it. When in reality, it impacts just as many women. And it's not something that many women talk about or feel like they have a community to talk about it. So that was really the impetus behind creating this course of just putting out good information, as well as letting people know that they are supported and that they aren't alone. I love that. That's, I mean, it's so true. Like when you, when you talked about the information is like when, some, when they said to you, like, this is the most information they've gotten, because I mean, 
I, as I shared with you before we started recording, I mean, you go to the doctor for, you know, your yearly, even if you don't, the most she goes every year, you get, you go to this yearly checkup and that's that, you know, Mm -hmm. like they look at your numbers, they say, Oh, here are your meds or whatever. And I don't necessarily, the problem is I don't necessarily blame the doctors because they are almost have powers higher than them saying, get these patients in and out. We need to stack Mm -hmm. you. Like they stack their, um, their schedule and especially the doctors that are on, you know, the non-independent doctors that are part of our health insurance plans, you know, and, and not everybody can afford to go to a individually private practice, you know, fancy doctor. And it sucks, you know, it, it does like it's the like access. And like you, there's a lot of people that you only know what you know. And there's a lot of people in areas that um, don't have the information that truly can't afford these things. So it's like this, it's almost like you're hitting this brick wall of like, how are you helping people? You know? Yeah, exactly. And I, truthfully, I feel bad for doctors in the sense that patients expect them to know absolutely everything. And doctors are not nutrition experts and that's okay. And I think that both the patient needs to realize that, that they should not only seek out their doctor for every single piece of advice related to their health. On the flip side of that too, it would also be really, really helpful if more doctors could provide referrals out for nutrition counseling, yes, as opposed to giving nutrition advice themselves. Um, because I've worked with a lot of patients that were told to go on the keto diet for lowering their cholesterol and it got a lot worse. Um, were put on medication because they went to the doctor while they were on keto and no one described to them that that diet could cause high cholesterol. But I think the most frustrating thing is just that most doctors will only tell you to lose weight if you have high cholesterol. And for a ton of people, there is no body weight to be lost. So, uh, you know, I've worked with people that said, my doctor said, I don't have enough weight to lose to bring down my cholesterol. So they put me on medicine. And your weight really doesn't have that much to do with your cholesterol level um, unless you are, you know, actively on an upward trajectory really quickly. And most weight loss diets do the opposite of what you would want nutritionally for your cholesterol. So, you know, after working really hard to try and lose weight, if you go back to the doctor and your cholesterol levels are higher, it's just super defeating. Um, So let's, one thing I love to do when I have experts on, and we're talking about like a really important topic, especially like this, I like to kind of go back to the basic building blocks. So for somebody listening, what is cholesterol and what is high cholesterol? Cause I know that there's, I mean, I know that there's different types of cholesterol and then yep. there's a total cholesterol. So let's talk about the basics here. So for somebody that's listening, that is confused about all that, we can give them this information. Sure. So cholesterol is a super important uh, compound that our body creates. Um, all animals create cholesterol and, uh, it's a type of fat that's in the body. And what we do with that cholesterol is a lot of important stuff. So it is in literally every single cell in our body. It's part of the membrane, which is the outer layer. Um, we use it to make sex hormones. It goes into our stress hormones. We use it to make vitamin D. Um, we also use it for a digestive compound that helps us break down fats. So there's a reason that we produce all of this cholesterol. It does a lot of important stuff in the body. That being said, there are some people, and and in truth, it's actually a lot of people, about 95 million adults that have what would be considered high cholesterol. Um, 
one thing I always like to preface is just because we need that cholesterol. We have all of the machinery in our body to be able to make cholesterol from anything that provides calories. So from protein, carbohydrates, fats, or alcohol, and then some other nutrients that we also take in when we eat protein, carbs, and fat, not necessarily alcohol, really can have a big impact on how long that cholesterol stays in the body. Um, so of the different types of cholesterol, that total cholesterol number, it's not something that I love to focus on so much um, because it's a number that's really an aggregate of other things. So that total cholesterol looks at a combination of your HDL, which is that quote unquote good cholesterol, um, LDL, quote unquote bad cholesterol, and then your triglyceride levels. Typically that total cholesterol would be flagged as high if it's above 200. Um, but the combination of those other three things informing that total cholesterol number is really a lot more important. So for example, that LDL cholesterol is really where you want to focus a lot. Um, what's considered high is usually somewhere above 130. Optimally or ideally, you would have that cholesterol, that LDL cholesterol less than 100. And, you know, it gets the term bad cholesterol just because it's the type of cholesterol that if you have too much of it, and in particular, if it's uh, too much of it for too long can become really dangerous. I like to think of it almost as, you know, radioactive where our body now sees it as something that needs to protect itself against. And that is what can really cause the buildup of those plaques in our arteries. As that plaque continues to build, the passage of blood gets restricted. And that's ultimately what atherosclerosis or heart disease is that can lead to those heart attacks and strokes. Um, the other type of lipoprotein, the HDL, high density lipoprotein is that good cholesterol. Um, and I kind of like to think about them almost as cops and robbers in the mean streets of our blood vessels. Um, if you have more of those bad guys, more of those robbers, that LDL roaming around on your streets, you really want to have more of those, that HDL also that can hopefully pick up that LDL, that bad cholesterol, take it back to your liver and repurpose it as a better, um, member of society, so to speak. So think about it as, as going to jail and hopefully getting rehabilitated as something else back in your body. That's not going to necessarily wreak havoc or cause some damage. Um, so those that HDL, ideally you'd want it to be for men above 50 and for women above 60. Um, and that's ideal. So optimally that would be providing the most protection against that um, potential harm of LDL. HDL is also something that we know acts almost as an antioxidant, preventing that LDL from becoming dangerous. So that's also really key to consider. Um, and then the last one, triglycerides, I would say is also important to focus on. So LDL and triglycerides are definitely the two key ones that you want to make sure are on the lower side. HDL, you want to make sure is on the higher side. Um, and triglycerides are the primary form of fat in our body. That's also the primary form of fat in foods that we eat about 95% of the fats that we eat and the fats that you find in our body are these triglycerides. For us, our body stores excess energy in the form of triglycerides so that we have almost an inexhaustible supply of energy should we ever have to go without. Um, and that's often why you can see those triglycerides circling around um, in your blood on a blood test. And that total cholesterol is less important because you could have very high LDL, which isn't what we want. 
coupled with very low HDL, which also isn't what we want, but you're still below that 200 threshold for total cholesterol. Um, on the flip side, you could have really good uh, LDL, but your HDL is a bit on the high side, which is a positive thing up to a certain extent. And that can push you over that 200 threshold, but it's not an issue for concern because where that 200 is coming from is actually a pretty favorable ratio. That makes um, a lot of sense. Um, and this is why like, you know, right. When you're looking at it, you really want to see focus on the individual numbers. You shouldn't judge the whole package as a deal as, you know, the end all be all. Right. And, you know, if your LDL is high, there's going to be a set of interventions that you should try and do. If your triglycerides are high, there's other things that you want to consider. And if that HDL is low, then there's other things that you want to do. So knowing how those numbers you know, are impacted um, and how they ultimately impact that total cholesterol number really, really informs the best nutrition changes that you should do in order to improve them. That's a really, really good point as well, is that, yeah, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. It depends on what it is for sure. So basically, you know, the bottom line is if, you know, your, your numbers are off and they're not, you know, they're, they're high, low, or, you know, whatever the combination is, it will depend on your, on your treatment. So when we're talking about cholesterol, you talked a few things about food that we eat, like, why does it matter if we're producing our cholesterol, why, how does diet play a role in all this? Sure. So there's two big nutrients that you really want to focus on. Um, actually, let me take a step back from them. So I said, cholesterol is made from anything that provides us calories. So protein, carbs, fat, or alcohol. Technically, if you are eating a lot of excess calories, regardless of where they're from, um, more than your body needs, and you're not necessarily utilizing all that energy, that surplus of energy can lead to a, a higher um, production of cholesterol. So that's one thing. But if you are not over consuming on calories, then focusing just on weight loss or on restricting your intake is not going to be helpful for lowering your cholesterol levels. Um, the two nutrients that have a bigger impact, one of them results in our LDL in particular, staying elevated in the blood for longer. Um, or I should say sticking around in the blood for longer. And the other one helps us to remove additional cholesterol from the system. So um, saturated fat is a really good place to focus first. Saturated fat is a type of fat that primarily comes from animals, although you can definitely still find it in plants. Um, it's found in high amounts in coconut, cocoa, and palm oil. Coconut, I do not know who in the world decided to market coconut as a health food a few years ago. Probably the same person that marketed bacon as a health food a few years ago. <laughs> it's fine in moderation, but it's actually higher in those saturated fats than butter. Um, so we have, you know, we kind of produced a whole generation of people that are gravitating towards coconut because it's been marketed to have these miraculous health benefits. Um, when in reality, it can lead to increased LDL cholesterol. Um, cocoa. Everything in moderation is obviously fine. Same goes for chocolate or excuse me, same goes for coconut. Palm oil is a really sneaky one because most of us don't cook with palm oil in the United States, but it's something that's really cheap um, as a food ingredient. It's not cheap environmentally, but as a food ingredient, it is used in all sorts of processed foods. So a great example to think about is popcorn, microwave popcorn. Popcorn has no saturated fat. Microwave popcorn is made with palm oil that you end up with about half of the amount of saturated fat you should take in in a day if you're choosing to have 
microwave popcorn that's made with palm oil. That's going down a rabbit hole. But I, I say that just because a lot of people think the only thing you have to think about is, is animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and animal sources certainly are the primary source where most of us get our saturated fat. If it's a type of fat that comes from an animal, it's probably going to be pretty high in that saturated fat. So you can think about fatty types of meat, um, like beef or chicken skin. You can think about um, butter, half and half, heavy cream, ice cream, those types of things. Um, and it's not that you need to eliminate that those saturated fats. It's actually would be really, really difficult to completely el- eliminate saturated fats without just really despising your diet and your life. Um, but you do want to just be mindful and monitor how much you're eating and how um, your choices kind of add up as far as saturated fat goes. Um, the other nutrient to, oh, sorry, I should also say, so that saturated fat impacts our LDL cholesterol in particular, because the type of, or when LDL cholesterol is made with high amounts of saturated fat, it, it, that LDL sticks around in our, in our bloodstream for a lot longer. What LDL does is it travels to all of the cells in our body because they all require cholesterol and deposit some cholesterol in them. At a certain point though, those cells no longer need more cholesterol. Um, and higher levels of saturated fat in the diet, again, leads to a type of LDL being produced that just sticks around for a lot longer. On the flip side of that, that other nutrient that's super key for lowering LDL is soluble fiber. Um, and this is something I think most people have just never heard about. Um, it is the type of fiber that swells when it comes in contact with water. So visualizing oats, chia seeds, beans, if you were to put them in water overnight, they're going to absorb a lot of that water um, and look pretty different in the morning. And that's uh, a, a good sign that they're pretty high in that soluble fiber. The other type of fiber, insoluble fiber, is what we mostly find in fruits and vegetables. Putting broccoli, celery, and carrot sticks in water overnight, they're going to look exactly the same in the morning. And that's because they don't have much of that soluble fiber, even though they're technically good sources of fiber. So paying attention to that soluble fiber is really, really key. And that one's a tricky one because food companies aren't required to list it on nutrition labels. So it's not something that we often see. Um, But those two nutrients are going to have the biggest impact. Um, Dietary cholesterol, I think, often trips up a lot of people because it is something that's still listed on nutrition labels, even though the latest set of nutrition guidelines removes concern about intake of cholesterol, dietary cholesterol. So this would be of eating products that are from animals. And since all animals are going to produce cholesterol, um, all of their products are going to have cholesterol in them. Um, in reality, we absorb about 10% of dietary cholesterol, um, whereas we absorb 100% of saturated fats. So it doesn't mean that it's, it has a zero impact. It just has a really low impact. Um, and truthfully, if you're eating an animal product, if you're eating a ton of them, even if they're lower in saturated fat, that dietary cholesterol can add up. Um, so that's one reason why, you know, I don't recommend people just switch to chicken without considering how they can lower their meat intake overall. If you ate chicken for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, even though that chicken has cholesterol, um, and is pretty low in saturated fat, that cholesterol over three meals really can accumulate, even though you're only absorbing 10%, 10% of a lot can still be a significant amount. Well, yeah, if you're eating a lot for sure. Yeah. And I think that's a common a stumbling point for a lot of people is they assume that chicken has less cholesterol than red meat. And it doesn't, it has the exact same amount. 
Um, it does have less saturated fat depending on the serving size and the type of, of chicken that you're eating, but it's still not something that you should have every single day <laughs> or you should not have multiple times a day every single day. Of course. Yes. Because that's the thing. It's not about just, you know, the fact that, like you said, you absorb 10%. It's just, you still have to look at the overall number. I mean, it's kind of like the idea of eating something that's low sugar. Well, that's great. But if you eat a ton of it, you're still going to get the same amount of sugar than if you ate one small right. cookie with regular sugar. Exactly. Exactly. Great analogy. <laughs> um, well, cause I get, I mean, I get a lot of that, you know, like, and I remember, I mean, I'll be 45 in July. So I grew up in the years of snack wells and mm. the low fat era where <laughs> yeah. everything was like, you know, and so it's just, I remember all that. And I mean, I remember being in high school and going off campus for lunch, going to like a Mexican place. And, you know, me and my girlfriend would like be eating our bean and cheese burritos, but then you have the girls like on the side, they're eating, they're literally just tortillas and salsa because it's lower fat. Right. And I remember thinking like, but why? Why would you do that? <laughs> I teach um, a food science class. In one of our last lectures, we covered snack well and like the low fat craze. Oh, God. And it's just so funny like this, you know, most of the students were born in 2000 or after. So yeah. it just never was something that was on their radar. Like, yeah, there used to be fat free ice cream and fat free potato chips. <laughs> oh, yeah. That helped. But it's like what's so funny is that I mean, from what I remember, from what I've remember and what I read is that that all started because of the heart disease issue. And they thought that mm -hmm. the issue was fat. Yeah. And so everything became low fat, but then heart disease just got worse. And, be but everything that was low fat was shoved with sugar and things exactly. like that to make it taste good because duh. <laughs> and so, you know, like it, it just, I mean, yeah. I and then know, diabetes I, became rampant yeah. during this same time yeah. frame. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like the whole, this stuff, if I was younger and were to redo my schooling again, I would totally be into dietetics because it just, it, the whole science behind all this just fascinates me. And I mean, I was a science major, but, um, I went into more, um, the science, science of the brain. I was a special mm -hmm. education teacher for a long time and also a first grade teacher and, and, that. and now I'm still teaching, just teaching different things, but, um, it just fascinates me because it just, I, I feel like, you know, people, I'm like, did you not take a step back and analyze the data? Because um, it wasn't working. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's also, I mean, science in general is hard and nutrition is just such a polarizing, personal and buzzworthy yes. topic. Oh my gosh. Um, so much and, so. You know, everyone eats, therefore everyone thinks they're an expert in food. And, and that's why- you know, there's just so much stuff out there. And for people that are confused, it's not an issue with you by any means. It is that we are constantly just pounded with nutrition info from places we don't even go for it. You know, if the holidays, how many, you know, family members are making comments about the latest diet that they're trying, or they don't eat this anymore, or whatever, <laughs> you know, you don't get yes, to Thanksgiving totally. to learn about the latest fad diet. You got to eat some turkey or something, right. whatever well, it and, might be. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, it's hard for me because I'm in the plant-based niche and it's such a polarizing niche in my opinion. And my, I am trying to create a niche within the niche of people that, because I think we all agree that eating a lot of plants is great. Mm -hmm. You know, like our body needs the nutrients, but at the same time, it's not the end all be all where 
there's nobody that says that if you eat a plant rich diet and then sometimes include things you love that aren't plants, that you're any worse off right. than somebody that's this super strict plant-based person. And in fact, I'd argue that the super strict plant-based person is actually worse off because if you include their mental health, right, they're worse off. And that's just, I'm, that's my opinion and I'm sticking to it because <laughs> I just believe that mental health has so much to do. And in our world of diet and whatever, like no one's taking the step back and, and looking at the whole person versus this one diet. Like you said, like everyone's like, oh, this diet, 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 diet. And like how much time and energy and stress do you focus on your diet? So, so much. And, you know, a lot of the members of my course are that, you know, they span all ages But I do have a lot of women in particular that are in the perimenopausal, you know, recent postmenopausal phase um, where they have been on a diet their entire life since they were 16 or maybe even before that. Um, And it's just been a constant exhausting cycle that has never resulted in what they wanted, despite investing a ridiculous amount of time, effort and energy for decades. And then they, you know, they still end up with higher levels of cholesterol, despite thinking that they've been doing everything yes. right, because they have constantly been working. Well, and the stress that that puts on our body, like stress is such a huge factor in our life. And I think like so much, like it's just, it, it's not taken into the equation so many times. And yeah, I mean, I, when I first, I guess you can say when I first started this business, I, um, you know, I didn't. I I came out of the closet per se, as somebody who is in this niche that wasn't a hundred percent plant-based or vegan or whatever you want to call it. Um, We consider ourselves plant-based because vegan is more of like a lifestyle. And uh, for us, it's about the food and the health of my husband um, and me now. But when I came out, I had, I remember I did this Instagram live and I said, well, no, we're not a hundred percent. This isn't, I don't believe this is the way to be in our family and does not work for us, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I did this whole Instagram live about like the stress and anxiety, because we're very anxiety ridden people in my family. Like I have anxiety. My oldest son has diagnosed anxiety and, and we have to consider both when it comes to food choices. And I had a woman, I I will never, ever forget this mess. I had a lot of messages of people saying, thank you so much for saying this. And gosh, it gives me such relief and blah, blah. But I had a woman who literally messaged me and said, this was so, I'm so relieved to get permission to step back sometimes because when we go on vacations, okay, vacations, we, I pack a bag full of vegan food because we're terrified of eating something on our vacation that isn't vegan. And I literally almost cried for her. I'm like, girlfriend, you're on a paid vacation (laughs) where you're supposed to relax and you're packing it. Like, what the heck? Like, yeah. oh my God. I was just flabbergasted. I, I'm like, wow. Okay. Well then. Yeah. And it, you know, and to think about how many, you know, for people that are trying to be super strict on a plant-based diet or for so many people that are on low carb, because that's the only way they think oh God. they can lose weight. Don't even get me started. They only need to focus on lose weight. The amount of, you know, life that you feel guilty about living or actively choose not to because it won't fit yes. with your diet is also Sad. incredibly <laughs> harmful. Um, yeah. The blue zones are something that I, I love to 
point to. You know, there's a lot of research in longevity, but you know, it's hard to have research on humans that go that you know spans a hundred years. We just yes. don't look at that. But the best evidence that we have for living the longest is focusing on these blue zones. And these blue zones are where people, you know, there's the highest concentration of people that are over a hundred years old. Uh-huh. And the consistencies between them are that, you know, they eat mostly plants. Um, they walk a lot. They don't smoke. They maybe enjoy a small amount of alcohol, but nothing in excess. And I think an important fifth factor there is that they have a really strong sense of community. And, you know, when you're thinking about what health actually means, if you're healthy, but you're the only person around, what's the point? (laughs) Right. Like you have to share that health with others and that sense of community is just so, so important. Um, So if your diet requires you to lose your community, probably not the best one for your overall health. Yes, a hundred percent. And food is also meant like, if you look back at time, I'm Greek by, um, like, that's my ethnicity. I'm like first generation. My parents were born and raised in Greece, like immigrated to the United States and in Greece, especially in my culture, food brings people together. Like if Mm -hmm. you were to come to my house, the first thing my mom would say to you is what can I feed you? (laughs) You know, like, and that's like a culture. That's how we shared love. And it's funny that I do what I do now, but I too, like in my relationship with my husband, like we, you know, when, as we go through our husband, wife, you know, marriage woes, you know, uh, when it comes to like showing each other love, like my love language is to give people food is to create Mm -hmm. for them food. And I mean, the truth of the matter is like, I helped save my husband's life because I have created this plant-based world of food because he's Italian of food. He loves. That's not just what you think of, you know, like salads and whatever we eat real food every single day. It just happens to be things I have created through plants to satisfy him because of his health. And that's how I show love. And that's the thing. It's like, it's food is a love language for people. And you sit around a table and you share a meal and as a family, as a community, as friends, and, and that gives you this happiness that reduces your stress that, and that's what I mean with like the whole person. And and you look at the community and the whole person as a whole. And that's why, you know, especially with cultural foods, you know, there's so much out there in the diet world about cult, you know, like foods, like in a certain culture, if we followed what diet world said, like you couldn't eat your cultural foods. And I could never give that up because that's my life. You know, like I grew up on certain things that I will never give up. Like I just won't. And like feta cheese, like that is my body doesn't love dairy a ton, but I can do goat and sheep. I will. Well, and traditionally feta cheese is goat and sheep. It's not cow. So it's only cow here in the United States. But if you go to a market, you know, there's some places that sell the goat and sheep person. But if you go to a Mediterranean market, if you go in Greece, it's all goat and sheep. It's not cow. They don't use cow milk really over there. So, but that's like, I'm sorry, but like dairy free feta is never something that will enter my life because it is a (laughs) cultural food for me. And it makes me feel like we had it at every meal. Like at every yeah. meal, you had a plate of feta. Like, that's just what you have, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that is absolutely. why I'm like, um, you know, like there's more to the plant-based world, more to these dietary worlds that we have to consider. Yeah. And I think that, you know, your approach to not being perfect is super key. Cause for a lot of people, I think that they assume that they will need to give up everything that they love in order to right. make a health change. And it's not something that they're willing to do. And, you know, that opinion is really just informed by people with the loudest microphones being the most intense 
Yes. Um, when in reality, no one with, you know, <laughs> a heart and a brain is really recommending right. that you give up everything. Um, and you don't have right. to, there's plenty of evidence yeah. that it's not yeah. necessary. Taking one step in that right direction can still be really beneficial for your health. Exactly. And like, if you do have high cholesterol, the quickest way to lower it is all these things we've talked about, like, of you know, lowering your saturated fat. That doesn't mean you can never have the French fries you love. Exactly. You know, it, may, it just means right. maybe not every day. <laughs> exactly. Coconut cake. Delicious. Not something that I'd have every day, but for my grandfather's birthday, it's what he eats. Absolutely. Right. I'm going to enjoy that. Um, it's all, I think it's also just, it is a little more difficult to have to learn about the foods that you're eating, um, learn about ways that you can navigate certain situations and, you know, how you can move things around to still meet the needs of your health, but also live a life that you enjoy. Um, so I, I feel for, and I get individuals that just want something that's black and white, um, because there's no nuance to black and white. Um, there's no yes, buts or yes, ands that you have to learn about. Um, but it, it really does make for a much richer, more enjoyable life when you're willing to invest a little bit of time to understand the how and why instead of just the what. And you probably are going to start feeling better. I mean, I know for me, like, I have been on a bender the last five days. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's <laughs> holiday season for me is like an uptick of parties and fun. I mean, the last five days just happened to be one thing after the other of things that I don't, I, I don't want to miss. But I'm telling you, like, after this, after a couple days of like eating out all the time and having my, even though I'm not like, yeah, Saturday night, I had quite a bit of alcohol, but the other times I had like a glass or two of wine, like whatever. But even that, like, I just, I'm like, I don't want anything for like a week, you know, like our next holiday event is not for another, you know, not till next this weekend. And I'm like, I just all week just want to like, eat like veggie stir fries and tons of water. And I just don't feel good. So you can imagine yeah. once you do lower that cholesterol, once you do all those benefits of what you feel inside will make you want to continue because you feel so good. Absolutely. That first step is always the hardest one. And I think if any way that you can lower that step. So make it three inches off the ground instead of a foot and a half. Um, go for it. You know, starting as small as possible of just trying to add beans once a week doesn't mean you have to take anything out right away, but that's something that everyone can achieve. Once you feel more comfortable and confident because you've taken that first step and you're standing on it just fine, you're not going to topple back, do something else. I think a lot of the expectation is that you have to do everything all at once. And that never works. Taking those small baby steps are a great way to build up the confidence to keep moving forward. Totally. And that's like the one thing, like I do like do some health coaching and, and that's the one thing, like I tell people that come to me like, oh, my doctor says I need to, you know, lower, you know, do this, whatever. I want to start eating a more plant-based diet. Can you help me? My number one thing is don't do it all at once. Mm -hmm. Like, like you said, like, forget about what you have to take out. Let's focus on what you can add in. Like, what are things that you can add in? What are foods that you love that your doctor or dietitian told you to eat? How yeah. can we help you make, how can I help you create recipes you love with those foods that you're told to eat? You know, like, oh, they told you to add beans. Fine. Like you said, like, how can we, here's a simple recipe that you can have with beans at home that is easy to make and quick. And, so, you know, like those are the, that's like what you said, like, it doesn't have to be a, this huge transformation. 
Yeah. And I, I, I have no idea why, what is ingrained in our psyche to think that we're not doing enough unless we're doing everything and then failing. Yeah. Um, but being okay with incremental progress is something that you have to be okay with 5% over a year is going to add up to more than 100% for one week. <laughs> totally. Well, before we go, is there anything other than food that you have found that can help with cholesterol, like change other than like the changing your diet, like increasing soluble fiber, lowering saturated fat. What about things like movement and things like that self-care, like anything like that you think that might help with this transition to lowering cholesterol? Yeah, absolutely. So for activity, that is an important piece that you can't ignore. Um, But just like for food, starting small is enough. And you have to be okay with that. So for you know course members, my encouragement is to start with just a 10 minute walk per day and be okay with that. Do not feel guilty about it. That is what you're supposed to do. If you do a 10 minute walk, you get a gold star. If you want to go for 30, great, but your success is not hanging on your 30 minute walk. Um, and I think a lot of people have the mentality related to exercise that if I don't oh, do God, enough, yes. it doesn't count when anything is enough. <laughs> Um, and for a lot of people too, that, you know, plenty of people say that they don't like exercise and that's because typically they are forcing themselves to do a type of exercise that they don't enjoy, that maybe doesn't feel good on their body. And they're asking themselves to do that while also drastically restricting their energy intake, because most people only start to exercise at the same time that they're dieting. So instead of forcing yourself into a type of movement that doesn't feel good for your body, pick anything. It can be dancing. It can be gardening. Um, Maybe it's hiking. Maybe it's going on a walk and calling a family member. Maybe it's listening to a podcast just to get away from your kids. That certainly counts. Um, While you're out walking around, you know, it doesn't need to be going to the gym for an hour and a half and hurting yourself. (laughs) Um, So, you know, along the lines of just adding in beans once a week being enough, if you can do that consistently, Same thing with a 10 minute walk every day, while it doesn't seem like, you know, the exercise routines you see on TV or on Instagram as a starting place, it is plenty. It is more than enough. Well, and one thing too, that um, I have a a habits guide that I, you know, help people with. And that's the one thing like I believe in is it's creating habits. Like Mm -hmm. you said, like, and the one thing that I said, like attach it to a habit that you already have, like everybody eats dinner, right? So maybe attach that walk to what you do after dinner with your spouse, like after dinner, you go outside and you do a walk around the neighborhood. And therefore, it starts to slowly become part of your routine every day. And it doesn't have to be this extra thing you're adding to take time away from whatever it is. Right, exactly. Um, And it can be anything, you know, it doesn't have to be a walk, it can, people are always, you know, floating in a pool is a good form of exercise because your body's working hard to keep your body temp stable. But if you like swimming, go for it. If you want to take a Zumba class, go for it. Um, I think, you know, running and CrossFit are just what everyone associates with exercise. And those are Mm -hmm. such a small piece of, you know, the overall movement pyramid, so to speak of what you could do. Um, So it really is trying um, a couple of things, seeing what works, but also the lowest hanging fruit is just to go outside for a walk. Well, and thinking outside the box as well, like my husband, he, he is not your traditional gym person at all, but he, he washes our cars for exercise. Like Hmm. that is a lot of work, you know, like Mm -hmm. doing things that maybe you, you know, maybe you don't even think like, if you say, Oh, I don't exercise. 
But then if you actually think about your daily routines, you actually do things like if you clean your house, if you spring cleaning, things like that, like gardening, like all these things, people just don't consider that quote unquote exercise, like you said, but it really actually is a lot of work. Yeah. And I think there's also a lot of people that just dismiss it as like, you know, I don't exercise at all, but then when you give them those types of examples, it's again, still building up their confidence that you're already doing a lot of this stuff. You need to acknowledge it just because it's not what you expect or what you think it should look like. Doesn't mean it doesn't count. And that's also like the, um, the whole, the whole mindset piece is that Mm -hmm. they don't look at themselves as a person who exercises. Whereas if you start to include all these other things, you can change that mindset of, I am a person who exercises. And once you change that mindset space, it's almost easier to add in things that you didn't think that you were the person to quote unquote, do those things. Absolutely. And I think that that mindset piece, it's one of the first lessons in my course on lowering cholesterol. You have to put it in your head that you are in control of that outcome. Um, Otherwise you're not going to get there. And especially for cholesterol, you know, having other members of your family that also have high cholesterol, that family history being a piece of it. One of the things that I stress so, so much is that that family history does not mean that you're doomed. Um, Your family history is so much more than just your genetics. It's also, you know, the style of eating that you have grown up with. You also inherit that you inherit foods that you include all the time. You inherit foods that you think are gross or foods that you never even think about. Um, so it's important just to note that just because other members of your family have high cholesterol, it does not absolutely mean that you have inherited a big genetic component to it. Yes, that's a factor for some people, but for the vast majority, like 90 plus percent of people, there's not a strong genetic component. It's a a lifestyle component that impacts cholesterol. Totally. Exactly. Like it's a whole overall piece. It's the big picture that, you know, we need to also, you know, encompass versus, you know, the little tiny things as well. So, um, this has been so informative. I am so excited for this to come out. I think people are really, really, really going to get a lot out of it. And those of you listening, make sure you click on her free class because she will give you, you know, some basics there. And if you need help, get in touch with Ashley, because she is obviously super knowledgeable in all this. And I think all we just want is for people to live healthy, long lives. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you just, Ashley, thank you so much for taking your time to be on here. It means so much that you took time out of your busy day to help teach all everyone listening. Um, just all this amazing information. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And those of you that are listening, I appreciate all of you as well. I so am thankful that you're here listening, getting this information. And if you love my podcast, I would so appreciate a rate and review on the Purple Podcast app because the more I have, the more my podcast will get out there and the more I'm able to get awesome experts on here like Ashley. So thanks everybody. And we'll chat again soon.